we begin today with our very own mini-episode of Mythbusters. Then we talk about the early days of the church versus the early, early days of the church. You know what I mean. We travel then through time to the year 313 and one of the biggest changes, for real, in the history of Christianity. And I tell you why all evangelicals are not alike. All on the way to answering the question, is Christianity evolving? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. All right, in some sense, the question buys into a myth. Here's the nature of the myth God is eternal and unchanging, Jesus is God. Jesus created Christianity, and because Christianity was created by an unchanging God, then Christianity in its true form is itself unchanging throughout all time. Okay, so before hardly we've even gotten started, let me say that I don't believe, I don't buy into the first premise of this kind of theological proof that I just went through, and that is that God is unchanging. I will say Well, I'll say more about this in future podcasts without a doubt, but I don't think that almighty plus eternal necessarily equals unchanging. But even apart from this, Christianity has been changing throughout the ages. Wait, did I already answer the question? Oh, I hate it when I do that. Anyway, remember that in the very early church, right after the resurrection of Jesus, they believed that they were waiting for the return of Jesus. And it was later that the church had to adjust to the reality that people who had known Jesus, people who had followed Jesus, might not get to see his return. So the understanding of his original followers that this current time they were in, after Jesus' ministry, his death, his resurrection, that time, right after all of that, was temporary, gave way to the awareness that the church was potentially in it for the long haul. And the church evolved. This meant the church changed from a grassroots organization with not much official structure to a far more hierarchical institution that was suited to exist through the ages. This church, as it grew, found itself appearing on the radar of the government and the powers that be. When you are just a handful of believers, you are hardly worth the time of the official structures of government. But when you begin to grow and you have a bit of separatist identity, which the early Christian church did, then you very much gain the attention of the earthly powers of this world. And so the church had to adjust to being persecuted. The church evolved again. Now, one of the things I learned in seminary about persecution was that most of us, when we have learned about it, learned it wrong. When I was a kid in Sunday school, we learned, well, we learned nothing about persecution at all. Obviously, that's not right. And when I got older and I grew to understand that there was a time in which Christianity under Roman rule experienced widespread pervasive persecution, which I later discovered was also kind of wrong. Persecution of the church was never as widespread and systematic as some of us have learned. Now, that doesn't mean that it wasn't bad for them, but like many forms of prejudice and persecution, it tended to be sporadic and awful in, say, one Roman province, but almost non-existence in the province right next to it. And then the weather would change, and that would switch. And when I say weather, I mean that both literally and metaphorically. 
History tells us that sometimes a drought or some weather phenomenon that was negative would strike a part of the Roman Empire, and people would decide that they were being punished by God for their tolerance of the Christians in their midst. So Christian persecution in that area would happen until, say, the drought was over. Now, I don't want to in any way leave the impression that persecution wasn't real. Plenty of Christians were persecuted for their faith. And those who weren't during this time that we're talking about, no doubt, had a very clear understanding that at any moment there could be a sudden outbreak of persecution for them. Okay, moving on. Yet another moment of dramatic change revolved around Emperor Constantine and the Edict of Milan. Now, I have a podcast that tells the story of all of this, but let's just say that this was a huge huge turning point for Christianity. In 313, this edict established religious tolerance for Christianity. And practically overnight, in no time at all, Christianity went from being illegal and under the threat of persecution to being legal. More importantly, Christianity went from being a religion that saw itself on the outside of society and with this change, with the Edict of Milan, was now very much on the inside and intertwined with government leadership at the very highest levels, and the church evolved. Now, there are those who would argue that at this moment, Christianity had the largest single evolution of its 2,000-year existence, and that would certainly be true for those of us in the Western Christian church. We very much live our faith lives in a Constantine-shaped world. So when evangelical Christians of our world today describe themselves as under attack and persecuted within Western society, they know nothing about the real history of the faith they profess. It reminds me of the child at a birthday party who gets a piece of cake because she doesn't want to play the game that the other kids are playing. And then she gets another piece of cake because the other kids are still playing the game and she wants another piece of cake. Then when she gets in line for a third piece of cake, the game ends and she's told, well, you're going to have to wait until everyone else is served. And then at that point, she yells, hey, no fair. In this case, for many modern Christians, fair isn't about equity. It's about getting what you want, well, when you want it. We live in a world that was shaped by this decision, this edict from Constantine. Despite what some would say, the deck is stacked very much in our favor in the political climate in which I live. But we would also be wrong if we described that as the Christian reality of all people across the globe today. There are 50 or so nations where it is right now dangerous to be a Christian. Christians in those countries practice their faith under the threat of persecution. And so their churches have evolved to their local situation. So, in answer to the question, Christianity is always changing because we are always changing, because our world is always changing. Hopefully, Christians are learning and growing, so our faith is changing to reflect those new developments in positive ways. Now, there is a change taking place within Christianity, and this is really what sparked this podcast. And it is a change that has many people anxious about the future of our faith. In short, there are some people within the branch of Christianity known as evangelical Christianity that are concerned that Jesus, well, I'm just going to say it, Jesus is too liberal and too weak. Richard Moore, a name you may not know, but he's important within the world of Christianity. Richard Moore is the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today and has recently been making waves on a big scale on this very issue. 
he resigned from the Southern Baptist Convention over its willingness to support Donald Trump as a political candidate and in response to the convention's unwillingness to speak out against some forms of white nationalism and overt racism. Now, as an aside, I should say the question is not whether we as Christians can support a political candidate running for office. The question is more fundamental than that. It is not which candidate we support, but the real question is about who or what we listen to first and what comes second. In other words, do we let our faith inform our politics or do we pick our politics and let them dictate our faith? Also, I have met many people of faith on both ends of the theological spectrum who do both of these. Now, back to Richard Moore. In his position as editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, he speaks to and hears from a wide range of pastors, not just Baptists. Now, as you may know, the Gospel of Matthew has a three-chapter section that has become known down through the ages as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, think of that section of Matthew as not so much a part of the narrative of Jesus' ministry, but as a collection of his sayings that gives us profound insight into his moral thoughts and his teachings. Within the Sermon on the Mount, you will find things like the admonition to turn the other cheek, the statement, blessed are the meek. Jesus also says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, he tells us, do not judge or you will be judged. Now, Richard Moore says that he has heard from many many pastors who say they have preached on some portion of the Sermon on the Mountain only to be cornered by members of their own congregations after the service and ask this question, where did you get those liberal talking points? Even more surprising is when the pastor says, oh, I got those from the Bible. Those are the teaching of Jesus. Those are the actual words of Jesus. Now, you would think people, when confronted by the words that are not only from the Bible, but direct quotes from Jesus, these people would be embarrassed and say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't know. But often the follow-up response to these pastors is, well, those don't work anymore. Those are weak. Look, the point here is not to go after the Southern Baptist Convention, Republicans, or even people who vote for Donald Trump. Let me say, I divide the segment of Christians we are talking about here into two groups. In other words, evangelicals are, as far as I'm concerned, divided into two groups. One, classical evangelicals to neo-evangelicals. There are probably more groups, but those are the two I'm dividing them into right now. And to oversimplify, classical evangelicals allow their faith to inform their politics and the rest of their life decisions. Neo-evangelicals are more about getting their faith to support their politics and their worldview. Now, these two groups often agree on their conclusions, but they get to those conclusions very differently. I've had both of these groups in parishes where I have served. Classical evangelicals are really fun to preach to, even for me, a liberal, because they want to think. They want to be challenged. Neo-evangelicals are a drag to preach to. They don't want to hear anything from the pulpit that they don't already agree with. So I don't think the experience described by Richard Moore is, well, new. I think what is new for us is that it is moving out of the periphery of kind of mainstream churches and into the mainstream of some denominations and churches. So is, is this actually happening? Yes. Is it disturbing? Yes. It is disturbing when people allow the political climate to sway their faith rather than the other way around. 
Well, as I said, this isn't something new. Then if it isn't new, why, why should we care? I mean, it's happened before, and we're fine right now, right? Yes, it has happened before, and that is precisely what makes it so troublesome. Pre-World War II, there were plenty of examples of churches within Germany that decided that it was their religious duty to get behind the groundswell of nationalism and anti-Semitism growing within the country. They allowed their nationalism, their political beliefs, to form their religion and not the other way around. The issue is not that we are witnessing something new within Christians who want their faith to follow their politics. The real issue is that it isn't new. We've seen it before, and we know what this can lead to. So, what can we do? I think there is a tendency to want to argue, shame, or defeat the opposition. If you ask me, those don't work. Stop to think how often you yourself have changed a fundamental core belief of yours because someone made an attempt to shame you into changing. Now, what I also believe is that silence doesn't work either. What I think is needed is not allowing the vocal, angry extremes on either end to fight it out, but for the large majority of people who are currently disturbed by the current direction of their faith, their church, or their congregation, to speak up. You don't need to yell, argue, or try to defeat. You just need to make clear that those words someone has said, well, they don't speak for you and your beliefs. In your presence, someone speaks of a vengeful, judgmental, vindictive Jesus. All you need to do is respond with a simple self-revelation. Huh. Wow. No, that's totally different from the Jesus I know from Scripture. The one I follow is all about love and forgiveness. And then leave it be. You won't win an argument here, but you have not remained silent. The point here is to let there be a change, not through argument, but from an overwhelming response throughout all churches that say, yeah, that's not the Jesus I know. And we won't be silent anymore. That's all for today. So, are you aware of this growing antagonism within some churches towards the gentle and nurturing words and teachings of Jesus? If you are, if you have stories or experiences about that, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email. My email address is dan at skypilot.zone. Or if you have any response to this podcast at all, I'd love to hear from you. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions? Seek answers and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to Sky Pilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. <laughs>